this morning. I awoke and um, went to City Light Church and saw the sunrise up over Milk Mountain. Um, I'm coming here this evening on the Lord's Day to be able to see the sun set over the mountain here. And so from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the name of the Lord is to greatly be praised. Um, I know that you have been in Mark's gospel, and I know that on this Lord's Day, you were in Matthew's gospel, um, looking in the valley of the shadow of death. I ask you tonight to turn to Luke's gospel to chapter 10. This is a sermon I'm still preaching to myself. So we come to God's word, let's pray. Father, thank you for the joy that you have given us and your beloved son. How blessed are we in him. Thank you, Father, for the joy of giving us the fellowship of the Spirit, one to another in your family, one to another church to church across these hills in this neighborhood. Thank you for the partnership of the gospel that we can share, for the proclaiming of this truth and hope that is ours in Christ and in Christ alone. And Father, now as we open up your word, inspired by your spirit, faithfully translated to our language, we pray that this word would go out to all nations and translate it to all languages, that many more would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. But thank you for this time, this evening, that you can minister to our hearts and meet us where we are. And, um, Lord, would you fill us with the joy of the Spirit, we pray. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. We will read the first 24 verses, um, and then we'll look at the last several. But as it's been shared, um, we are going to talk about joy today, even though this morning it was in the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death we're considering. Even as we console and comfort our brother in the death of his mother, our joy is not circumstantial. Our joy can be steadfast. So I would ask you this evening, do you have joy? Not just a feeling, but is this the affection of your soul? Do you have joy? Too often our joy is circumstantial. Just how are things going in life is whether we will have joy or not. Too often our joy is temperamental. Just how we're feeling about life. Too often our joy is codependent. How others around us are doing in life. But this is not biblical joy. Joy is not having a perfect life with perfect perfect circumstances, with perfect feelings, with the perfect context of those around us. Joy is belonging to God who reveals himself to us. And so for all the luxuries that we are afforded in this day, marvels and technologies that could only have been dreamt of in generations ago, one of our modern comics, one whom I won't not even name, but it often is our comics who most searingly see um, our culture. This one said a couple years ago, everything's amazing and nobody's happy. Everything is amazing 
and no one's happy. And the longer we live, the more depressed each generation becomes, the more isolated we become. Let us consider some Puritans of old. Walter Craddock says this, Take a saint, put him in any condition, and he knows how to rejoice in the Lord. Thomas Watson, the more we enjoy of God, the more we are ravished with delight. So do we have joy this evening? Let's come to God's Word in Luke chapter 10. We'll read the first 24 verses. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, 
and to hear what you hear and did not hear, says God's word. Where we are in Luke's gospel here is in chapter 9. He had gone up on a mountain and was transfigured. Moses and Elijah appeared before him and his three sleepy disciples finally awoke. Coming down that mountain, the other nine who had been given authority over demons were just bewildered as a father with a demon-possessed son was just so desperate. He had given them authority at the beginning of chapter 9, and yet when he is now away on the mountain, these remaining nine, Peter, James, and John were with him, but the remaining nine could not cast out the demon. And Jesus came back down the valley and cast out the demon and set his face to Jerusalem. And so chapter 9 on, we have now have his face set to Jerusalem to what is set before him. Look at verse 21 of chapter 10. In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord in heaven and earth. In that same hour, what hour is this? This is the hour of the return of the 72 who had been on a mission trip to the surrounding towns by Christ's command. A note about the 72 or the 70. Jesus had different circles of relationships. We see 120 gathered in the upper room of Acts waiting for the promise to come. Here we see 72. He's called 12 and appointed 12 as apostles. On the Mount of Transfiguration, we see Peter, James, and John. We go to Bethany, and there is Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He had different circles of relationships. And so just a side note, Jesus in his incarnation knew relational limitations. And what this tells us is that we cannot be everything to everybody. Even our Lord Jesus moved in different circles of relationships. And yet it is his love and his discipleship in these circles that turn the world upside down. One saint wrote this in the master plan of evangelism. It all started by a Jesus calling a few to follow him. This revealed immediately the direction of his evangelistic strategy would take. His concern was not with programs to reach the multitudes, but with people whom the multitudes would follow. People were to be his method of winning the world to Christ. So please do not put an expectation on the church to create a program, a strategy to change the world. It is always by transformed hearts that give witness to the gospel where this gospel, this kingdom increases and goes to the ends of the earth. I would ask you, dear friends, who are your relational circles? Who's your 120? This would be the fellowship of this church, and even more so. Who are your 12, though, and who are your three? You cannot be everything to every person. Jesus has sent out these 72 into pairs to minister into the towns. And how do they come back? In verse 17, they returned with joy. Lord, 
Even the demons are subject to us in your name. There is joy in doing ministry and joy in seeing ministry effective in Christ's name. Joy in seeing the power of God work in the people that you are serving. There is joy when you have missionaries come back off the field and join you in worship and tell of the reports. Joy when Pastor Randy comes back and shares of ministry in Africa. This is good and right. And how does Jesus respond to this mission report? He affirmed their victory over demons. But look at verse 20. Look at the nevertheless. Do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Joy is not so much in what we're doing, but in our being. It's not in our ministry to God, for God. It's our identity in Christ. I mean, we all want to be useful. We all want our life to have purpose. We'd like to be effective, even powerful. And of course, these disciples rejoiced. And he didn't dampen that joy. He just redirected it. Is our joy dependent upon what we do or upon whose we are? Jesus says rejoice in belonging to to God. Now, a year into this merger and developing new relationships, a year behind your example, um, I've gotten to know a young man who had come to saving faith at Gant Grace Brethren Church. His parents um, were not believers. It was a very dysfunctional family, but he was loved on by other youth in this church and was brought and welcomed into the family and came to saving faith in Christ. He graduated high school just two years ago, not knowing where he was going to go, did a gap year ministry in Australia. And in this year, he's doing a gap in a second year in New Zealand. It's been a joy to get to know this young man. But in Christmas break, we had coffee down at R&D on Main Street. And he asked me, like, Derek, as we're getting to know one another, Derek, how does ministry not just become work now like I rephrase it for him because I've used a different word for our folks like how does ministry not just become the grind and that's me having come through a very difficult December oh I was so burned out we're renovating this building I'm dealing with just all the relational dynamics the organizational leadership we're and then we're trying to we're joyfully coming into this, what Charlie would tell me, like, call it the doxalarium. I'm like, I don't know what to call these parts. We've been in a gym for like a decade. Now I've got like a stage that I'm not going to call a stage. It's a platform, but no, we don't want platforms. And is it a sanctuary? No, Jesus is our sanctuary. I don't even know how to orient myself with having a, a permanent building anymore. And it's wore out my soul. I got burned out in November. And I told this young man, 
I said, where did Christ begin his ministry? Right here, you're, you're in the beginning of your adulthood, and Jesus comes up out of the water for his baptism and has words of affirmation spoke to him. You are beloved. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Here to this young man who has a dysfunctional family and yet has a heart to serve the Lord, and now it's getting hard. I'm like, brother, you got to remember again your belovedness by your Savior. This is where joy is. It's not in what we can just do. As exciting as those things can be, our joy is our identity in Christ. And this is the hour of this passage. The 72's joyful return from ministry in the surrounding towns. Look at verse 21 again. In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. What does Jesus now do himself? Jesus rejoices in the Holy Spirit. Do you ever think of Jesus rejoicing? In the Gospels, this is only the only explicit account where it says Jesus rejoiced. Maybe it's my disposition, but I always notice where Jesus wept. Jesus wept when he saw the anguish of his friends at the death of Lazarus. John 11.35, Jesus wept when he went to Bethany. I'm like, this is a very short verse. Nine characters in our English language, 16 in the Greek. But you know there's a shorter verse in the scriptures? Not in our English lettering, but in the Greek, 1 Thessalonians 5.16 has two shorter characters. Rejoice always. Jesus wept. We weep at loss. We weep at death. Death is not natural. It's not just the way things are. It wasn't the way it was created to be. We are the ones who welcome death into this world by our sin. Creation has fallen because of us. Death is not natural, and so we weep in anguish at it. Jesus came to conquer death and take the sting away. But here, he consoles empathizes with his friend. He weeps. John 11. He weeps when he sees our sin, the sins of humanity. Luke 19. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Would that you even now, you who had known on this day the things that are made for peace, but they are now hidden from your eyes because you did not know the time of visitation. Are we not weeping at the sin and brokenness in our world? Jesus did. Jesus wept in passionate prayer before his arrest in the garden. The Gospels do not explicitly say this, that he wept. It does record how he sweated blood. 
But Hebrews 5 says this, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus wept because he knew what was before him. The Almighty One, yet he would be betrayed and arrested in a garden, beaten, mocked, crucified. The Holy One, yet forsaken on a cross in judgment for our sin. The author of life, yet on that cross, breathe his last. See, we see Jesus weeping in the Gospels. But I want to know, do you ever see Jesus rejoicing? And we would love to read between the lines and we would, We would imagine just as he experienced the fullness of our humanity, you know that there's the lightness of soul. I mean, the joking, the laughing of our Lord. What does it mean to have joy in the Holy Spirit? Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit along with love and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness and self-control. Joy is the life of the kingdom of God. It's not about eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And you became imitators of us in the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. This was the church in Thessalonica. See, joy is not the absence of suffering. It's life in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit for our Lord had joy. And so we look to him. Look to our rejoicing Savior. He's the author and founder and perfecter of our faith who for the The joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It was Jesus' joy to come and incarnate in this world in the eternal plan of redemption. It was his joy to suffer and die for us because it was a joy set before him. He knew what he was accomplishing. And it was a joy to be raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and at the right hand of God our Father. Do you consider the Lord's joy, this joy which is our strength? It's not our joy in the Lord. It's the joy of the Lord which is our strength. And the Lord our God is in our midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. This is the Lord our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who rejoices over us with gladness. He rejoices in the Holy Spirit and he prays to God the Father. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. We go to Christ's baptism to see the Trinity there altogether, but do you go to Luke 10, 21? Jesus is God in the flesh, the incarnate Son, 
the fullness of the deity bodily dwelling, and he has two natures, fully human, fully divine, in one person. Meditate on this. He knows the range of human emotion, not just as our creator because he wired us or fearfully and wonderfully made us. He knows it because he took on our flesh. And here we see the triune God. The mystery of the eternal three persons in the unity of the Godhead. Now in this verse, at the hour of the 72's return. He's rejoicing in the Spirit, praying to the Father. What mystery is this? And what is his joy in praying to the Father? You've hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, such was your gracious will. Jesus rejoiced in the salvation of souls. J.C. Ryle says this, Our blessed Lord no doubt saw much of this world to make him grieve. He saw the obstinate blindness and unbelief of the vast majority of those of whom he ministered. But when he saw a few poor men and women receiving the good news of salvation, his heart was refreshed and it made him glad. You've revealed it to little children, the seemingly weak, the seemingly foolish, the seemingly lowly, not just those of small stature, of young age. It's the weak, the foolish, and the lowly whom he rejoices have been saved by God his Father. But wasn't this the song of Mary as well? In Luke chapter 1, God's grace to the humble. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has shown strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Jesus, rejoice in the Holy Spirit that salvation is known by the seemingly weak and foolish and simple of this world, but wasn't this Mary's song as she carried this virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit, carrying this, our Savior. But this is also the teaching of Paul to the Corinthians. For consider your callings, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing that are, so that no human may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So in Mary's song, in Paul's teaching, and in Jesus' prayer, what have we learned? God saves by his gracious will. It is not the proud, it is not the powerful who earn God's favor. It's the seemingly weak, 
the seemingly foolish, and the lowly. He has, he has, he has, sang Mary. God chose, God chose, God chose, taught Paul. The Father reveals the things of faith by his gracious will. And it brings our Savior joy. Now I know that where we share theological partnership as well. But some of you may be asking, like, God saves by his gracious will? What's my part, Derek? Is there a prayer for me to pray? For me to raise my hand? God saves by his gracious will. Ephesians 1, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. For those whom he foreknew in chapter 8 of Romans, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Romans 8 tells us this is God's work. Ephesians 1 saying this is God's will. Romans 9, shall we go there? So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and hardens whomever he wills. And too many get grumpy with the Apostle Paul saying, well, I'll just follow Jesus. Let's follow Jesus. In John chapter 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. I hope some of you were with us at First Presbyterian Church on the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. The posting of those theses, Pastor Mark Vaughn preached that passage there that evening. Because this is the mystery of God's sovereignty in our response, our responsibility. All that the Father has given me will come. This is election. This is predestination. That all that would look upon the Son and believe upon Him have eternal life. God's sovereignty and human responsibility are not mutually exclusive, but mysteriously harmonized in the Scripture. And can you hold both in belief? Can you hear the Apostle Peter say both, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and all for all, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. God is doing this. This is according to his 
gracious will even to little children. And it's the joy of our Savior. Luke chapter 10, verse 22. Jesus' prayer continues. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and everyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. This is no mere man. This is not just a patriarch, a prophet, or an apostle. These are words that will get him killed. We're given a glimpse again into the mysterious union of the Father and the Son and the Godhead. The Father has handed all things over to the Son, Jesus is Lord. The Father is only known through the Son, Jesus is the only mediator. The Son chooses whom to reveal the Father. Jesus is Savior. It's divine election, divine initiative, divine grace. So I am always reminding our folks, as we turn on the light, it's Jesus saves. It just says Jesus right now. The sign people are coming out this week. At least Jesus is lit. Um, That's the simplest summary of the gospel. Jesus saves sinners. Right across the hill, Jesus saves. And then Jesus is the subject. Jesus is the actor, the doer, the initiator. And the action Jesus does is saves. And we receive that action as the implied direct object, the church now below this sign. The beneficiaries of this gospel summary. God saves sinners. Jesus saves his church. And do you know it's for his joy? It's his joy to save such as little children like us. Are you weak? Are you foolish? Are you lowly? Or have we gotten to the point that we think that we're deserving? Do we have merit? A little smarter? I mean, we, we're just maybe a little smarter when we've kind of figured it out and other people have not gotten it. Jesus' joy is that little children are saved. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. If we'd have known Him, we would have known the Father also. And from now on, Jesus has shown us we can know the Father because He Himself has revealed Him. So do you believe this good news? Do you believe that Jesus is the Savior of your sin? That He is the Lord of your life? And is this your joy? And some of you, as I've kind of ministered to others who wrestled with Ephesians 1 and Romans 8, well, Derek, if Jesus chooses... Um, What if Jesus hasn't chosen me? Some of my most painstaking 
counseling sessions. Not been many, but enough to just to wreck my heart. This is just someone sit in my office and just say, I'm not chosen. I'm not elect. And to just sit under this condemnation of this demonic lie. And I would say, dear friend, if you're hearing the message of grace and your heart is not hardened, then rejoice in this good news and call upon Jesus for salvation. And if we're going to walk the Romans road, please get into chapter 10. Like, don't, don't fall off in chapter 9. Get, get into chapter 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing the riches of all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, Derek, if it's just, if, if God's just going to elect who he's going to elect and it's already been determined, then why share the good news with others? And fellow believer, as we hold the mystery of God's sovereignty, would you also know that he has ordained human witness as the means of gospel advance in the saving of souls? Continuing in Romans 10, how then will they call on him on whom they have not believed? How will they to believe in him on whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It should be our joy to share this good news. And it's a joy to see someone come to saving faith. I mean, angels are going to rejoice in heaven over this. But ultimately, our joy is not how the response is. Our joy is that our names are written in the book of life. And so it's our joy to share whether we're rejected or accepted, heard or dismissed. Because this was the way of our Lord, who himself had crowds flock, but had disciples desert. This is the way of our Lord. Well, we walk in it. He would turn to his disciples in verse 23 of Luke 10 and tell them privately, Blessed are the eyes that see you. Blessed are the eyes of what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. I don't think we understand this. I think we, we read the revelation of Scripture and we just think that if we could have been there, we see great powerful works of redemptive history across Old Testament history. If we could have just been there, there were so many that were there and did not believe. But we live in a day in which the Holy Spirit has been poured upon all flesh. He indwells the hearts of believers that we're in Christ in the heavenlies. And here as we walk on this earth, that the Holy Spirit is indwelling us and empowering us and gifting us. That we have the revelation of Christ 
is Jesus of Nazareth who lived and died and was raised from the dead. If we would just understand this. These are things that Abraham and Moses and David and Isaiah kind of wish they could have seen the way we see it and know it. My question is, do we have joy this evening? Why or why not? Is it a fleeting happiness that we're seeking with just trying to achieve perfect circumstantial environment? Are we just trying to get everyone around us okay so that we can be fine with life? This is not biblical joy. Take a saint, put him in any condition, and he knows how to rejoice in the Lord. The more we enjoy of God, the more we're ravished with delight, the saints of old would tell us. So how do I get burned out in November trying to pastor a church in a good but hard year of merger? This is the message I'm still preaching to myself. So going back to realize that I'm blessed in the Beloved, to realize again that joy is not what happens each and every day, but joy is belonging to God who is my life forever. It's not what I can do for God. It's a blessing to be found useful. Joy is belonging to God and hidden in Christ. God is our Father and we are His beloved children. And it's only possible because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what blessing is ours to have such revelation. Just once more to close. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness and He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Jesus our Lord has such affection for us. Let's realize it now. Let's pray. God our Father, we know the right things. We've sung true things tonight. But Father, would you minister to our souls where joy has been fleeting? We know this, and yet we will still look to the things of the earth, to the things of this world, to satisfy us, and they will not. Father, will you forgive us and cleanse us of this worldliness? Forgive us for knowing better and yet chasing these lust and this pride of this world. Father, have mercy upon us. We are forgiven in Christ, but would you cleanse us and sanctify us by your Spirit. Forgive us for seeking joy in this world. Father, also forgive us 
for having our joy depend upon our perceived usefulness to you. Forgive us for not seeing that the lines have fallen for us in pleasant places and that our joy is to be in you in who you are and in belonging to you, not in how we measure our days. We do want wisdom to number our days. We want to be found faithful. We want to be good and faithful servants. But our joy is not in our service to you. Our service is to you because of our joy in you. Father, let that be more of the reality in our hearts. Father, let us wonder and just marvel again to see the joy of our Savior in enduring the cross for our salvation. Let us know the joy of our Savior to fulfill your will and to redeem us. And let that change us. And let that grant us a peculiar witness in this world. A joy, even despite walking in the valley of the shadow of death. a joy even when we suffer. Let this be our witness to you. Let this be our witness to the world and worship unto you. Father, I thank you for this dear church. And I thank you for the ways that you have shaped them and molded them and kept them in faithful ministry through the decades. I thank you for your ministry in this church in this day and what our ahead for the coming days and years and decades until Christ returns. Hold them fast. Father, thank you for this church as they surround the Evans family in this time, many of whom have endured the death, walked the death of their parents and loved ones who can minister in life experience and for others who can just minister in love for this family. Sustain our brother in this day. Sustain our sister Gretchen in this day. Thank you for the ways that they honored Charlie's mom in these past years. Father, grant us the joy of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ's name.